Listen in to the forum at St. James Church. Okay, it's 10.30. That means we're starting. We are continuing our exploration of Matthew. For those of you who are following along with the journey of Matthew, you will have discovered that now that we have found ourselves in the passion narrative, which is obviously the story of Jesus' death on the cross and those things that lead up to it, that uh, Ava Suarez's dad is the person who has been writing the commentary uh, for two of these weeks, Ray Suarez, a well-known journalist and author, and Ava's dad. That's how we like to think of him. So, So we are up to Matthew's passion. Who would like to say what the word passion means? What was that? Barbara, what'd you say? Excitement, passion. Yes, when you're in love, it, and it is a very exciting story. It's true. But it means something else. So suffering. suffering. From patio. From patio, which means? I suffer. I suffer. In the Latin or in the Italian. So it is about suffering. But the fact is, anyone who has been madly in love knows that there is suffering involved because you're worrying about where your beloved is and what they're thinking and what they're doing. So, um, so I actually like the fact that it's actually uh, called the passion. So just a little quick review. Who do we believe Matthew is writing to? We have four Gospels. Who's Matthew's primary audience, do we think? Jewish people who have not yet become... Christians. Who else might he be writing to? The reverse of what Bob just said. He's also writing to to Jews who have become Christians. Part of what he's doing is all through Matthew. You you know it's Matthew's gospel when he writes, this was to fulfill, and then cites a prophet. It's one of the things they teach you so you can pass a pop quiz in cemetery in seminary. I always say cemetery. Isn't that awful? I do that all the time, and I really actually love my seminary. But anyway, so they teach you that. This is to fulfill is Matthew. So he's writing in hopes of convincing some who are Jewish that Jesus truly is the Messiah, but also to reassure Jews who have become Christians that they are in line with Judaism, that they actually have not left the scriptures and the law of God behind. And so Jesus last week was talking about, I have not come to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. And that's a very important verse if you are a Jew who's become a Christian, that he is not trying to move away from that. And what are the sources for the gospel that Matthew writes? What's his source material? Mark, absolutely. They're called the Synoptic Gospels. Which are the three Synoptic Gospels? Matthew, Mark, and Luke, because they share Mark as their source. So they, they contain almost everything that's in Mark you will also find in Matthew and Luke. What's the other source? Q, book of Q. And what's Q, Arminda? A book of sayings, because in both Luke 
And Matthew, there are sayings that do not appear, hello, Susan, that do not appear in Mark's gospel, but appear in both of them. So the assumption is that Luke and Matthew shared the source Q, which is some complicated German word that I think means sayings, and that they also shared Mark um, as a base. So who would like to tell me the broad outlines of the passion narrative? What happens? He's crucified, yes, indeed. No, no, that's not the passion narrative. No, 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 we're not there. That's the resurrection. No, they don't fall asleep at the Seder. No, they do not. They fall asleep, but not at the Seder. Nope, they fall asleep in the Garden of Gethsemane. So what's the order? We have the Passover meal. What happens there? What we now know is the Lord's Supper or the Last Supper. And what does Jesus say at the Last Supper? He actually does not teach them a prayer. That's earlier. Yeah, it's earlier. See, this is why I love to do this, so we can sort of get this in order. Okay, what happens at the Lord's Supper? He breaks the bread, he shares the wine. Does he say anything about that? Yeah, but I'm still waiting on the bread and the wine. This is my body, which is broken for you. This is my blood, which is shed for you. Right, exactly. Come on and have a seat. We have uh, chairs over here at this table. Come join us. So yes, he says that. What else does he say, Christina? He says, one of you will betray me. And what happens when he says that? They all think it might be them. And that's an important thing to remember, that every one of them gets anxious. Okay, so everyone know themselves, each person knows himself well enough to know that Jesus might possibly be talking about him. Okay? So then what happens? Yep. Jesus says all of them, he doesn't say they're all going to betray him, but he says all of them will desert me. All of you will desert me. And Peter says, never. I couldn't possibly do that, right? Okay. And Jesus says what? You will deny me three times. And does Peter do that? Yes. yes, he does. Okay, so what happens next? Judas kind of disappears. We never actually hear about his exit um, in the Passion narrative, but he seems to have disappeared. Yep, then what happens? They go to the Garden of Gethsemane, and why do they go there? Jesus wants to pray. It's a familiar place. They go out there. Who does he ask to stay close to him? 
Peter, James, and John. That's who he asked to stay close to him. And what happens? Elise, what did you say at the start of this? They fall asleep. Exactly. The three of them fall asleep multiple times. Jesus says, can you not stay awake with me? No, it turns out they can't. Um, so that is in Matthew's gospel. We simply get that reported. Luke does some work trying to make us feel better about them falling asleep. And then what happens? They come to arrest him. And how do they know that it's Jesus they're after? Because, you know, all these... You know, all these Jews look alike, and they're all wearing the same clothes, and how do they know it's Jesus? Judas. Yes, we have the story of Judas says, the one that I will kiss is the one you are to arrest. Some of the Gospels don't let Judas kiss Jesus. Some of them do. Matthew, Matthew is one of the ones where Judas does, in fact, kiss Jesus. So then what happens? They arrest him, and where do they take him? To the high priest. What's the name of the high priest? Caiaphas. So they take him to Caiaphas's house, and what happens there? They ask him some questions. They seek out false testimony. Actually, in Matthew's gospel, it wonderfully says... Lots of people were willing to come testify against him, um, but they, they didn't really like that false testimony. Anyone know what false testimony in Matthew's gospel they settle on? Because apparently they have lots of choices. Nope, it's not king of the Jews. Yeah, it's the destruction of the temple. And remember that the temple was the focal point of worship for all Jews at that point. So he said he will destroy the temple in three days and then build it up. That's what they get him on with Caiaphas. So then what happens after Caiaphas? They take him to Pontius Pilate. What happens with Pontius Pilate? He tells me, what is truth? No, not in this gospel. Yes, in another gospel, Pilate has a conversation about what is truth. And they do get to Barabbas, but not yet. He will But what? He will not defend himself. He will not defend himself. That is correct. He will not defend himself. Although he has this wonderful phrase in Matthew's gospel, which he uses with Judas, and which he uses with the high priests, and it is, you have said so which is about as close as Jesus gets in this narrative to saying, yes, that's right. He says, well, you've said that's true. So he goes to Pilate. What else happens with Pilate? Well, that's the nicest version of Pilate we know. <laughs> he didn't really want to do it. Yes, what is, why do we think that? He washes his hands. What does he say when he washes his hands? By the way, he only washes his hands in Matthew's gospel. What does he say when he washes his hands? It's not up to me. Nope, he doesn't say it's not up to him because it is up to him. 
It says, I am, I'm washing my hands of this man's innocent blood. So he declares quite clearly uh, that Jesus is innocent, does Pilate. So then what happens? Phoebe. No, no, it's quite late in the day. He gives them the choice because there was a custom, theoretically, um, that the crowd could ask for a prisoner to be released at Passover. And so the crowd asks for Barabbas. What do we know about Barabbas? Well, we have two different versions. We have that he was a leader of the insurrection, so a political prisoner, which would justify people perhaps wanting him. There's also one account that says he's a murderer. We don't actually know much about Barabbas. We just know he's the one who gets asked for, so that Jesus, um, the crowd shouts, crucify him, will be crucified in his stead. Then what happens? And I promise I'll stop this in a minute because we're almost at the end of this. I can't hear you, Elise. Nope, that happens at the cross. What happens before then? He's scourged, that's right, which was pretty common before crucifixion. They take a whip with many cords and with prongs, metal prongs on the end, and whip him so that flays your flesh. Yeah, no one else. Yeah, they take off his clothes and they put on a scarlet robe. Um, and a crown of thorns, and what do they do once they've worship, done that? No, 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 no. This is long before the crucifixion. They make him carry the cross, but before that, back to the robe and the cross. They mock him. They put on a crown because he's claimed to be a king, and they put on a robe because a king wears a robe. And they actually, at one point, they say he's blindfolded, and they beat him and say, prophesy who it is that's hitting you. Prophesy. So they mock him as a king, then they take those garments off, um, and they put his own clothes back on him, and they make him carry his own cross. Except for what happens along the way. Somebody else helps. Yeah, what's the somebody else? Who's the somebody else who helps him? Simon, Simon of Cyrene. Exactly. And in, in Matthew's gospel, we know nothing but his name. In Mark's gospel, we get some more information. Okay, so he gets up to Golgotha, and what happens? They nail him to the cross. Yes, indeed, they do. So, and what's actually, just historically, what is he actually carrying up to Golgotha? I know we say his cross, but what's he actually carrying? He's only carrying part of the cross. The cross beam. The cross beam. And why is that? The poles are already there. The verticals are already in the ground because this was a common form of execution by Rome, and so they leave the verticals in the ground, and they make prisoners carry the cross beam if they're able to do that. So what happens is he's nailed to the cross, he's hoisted up, then what? There is a detail that I, I remember only in Matthew, that the soldiers changed his clothing 
dick is put back in clothing mm -hmm. and the, the robe that, well, afterwards the well, we have different accounts. Yes, Matthew is the one who talks about them putting on these clothes to mock him as a king and then strip that and put his own clothes on him. So whether he died in his clothes or the other accounts that talk about his clothing being divided among the soldiers who are mocking him, but that's actually not in Matthew. And what else then happens? They had the sign up. What did the sign say? King of the Jews. King of the Jews. But in Matthew, it's only written in one language as far as we know. John gives us three languages. Matthew gives us one. Okay, and what happens? Where are the disciples? Gone. Every last one of them is gone in Matthew's. Who's still there who followed Jesus? Who else? There's actually a clutch of women who are there. And interestingly, all of the Gospels agree on this, um, which means it's probably true, because it would have been rather startling. But they differ in terms of some of the women who are there. Um, so there are a couple of different Marys, including his mother um, in John's Gospel. But the women are there. But the disciples all flee, unless you're reading John's Gospel, which we're not today. So. Um, and what happens, who is he crucified with? Two thieves. What do we know about the two thieves in Matthew's Gospel? One of them greets the other one after the first one says... Not in Matthew's Gospel. Phoebe says one berates the other because we are being condemned justly. And he is innocent. But in fact, in Matthew's gospel, they both deride Jesus. The only time we get the good thief is in Luke's gospel. Otherwise, that detail is completely missing. And so as far as we know in Matthew's gospel, Jesus is actually being derided by the priests, by the passers-by. He is being deserted by all of his disciples. There are some women who are staying and who are watching um, but he truly dies alone. There is no good thief. There is no disciple. There is no one who is speaking up for him. What does he say before he dies? Nope, he doesn't say that in this particular gospel. He does not say, forgive them, Lord, for they know not what they do. We like that, but it's not in Matthew's gospel. Yes, he says, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I, should, I knew that. I knew that. Well, Nora, then you should have put up your hand and told us. That would have been really helpful. Well, you forgot it until it came back. That's how it happens. So he breathes his last. Okay, that would be the passion. I thank you all. I do not have to preach on Good Friday. You have this. All good. So... So here are some things that are unique to Matthew that I want you to talk about for five minutes at your table. Okay, unique to Matthew. Judas has a story in Matthew's gospel. And the other is he really doesn't. We don't know much of anything about him until the very end. Judas has a story, and alone in Matthew's gospel, 
Judas repents. Yes. Judas repents. Not true in the other Gospels. We also have in Matthew's Gospel, and have it absolutely nowhere else, Pilate's wife. Okay? Pilate's wife turns up. We also have in Matthew, and uniquely to Matthew, Pilate washing his hands. I am free of this man's innocent blood. We also have only in Matthew an earthquake and the dead who are raised and come out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection. The other thing we have only in Matthew's gospel is that the stone that is rolled in front of the tomb is sealed. So, I would like that table to talk about Judas's story and his repentance and why you think Matthew included it. I would like this table to talk about Pilate's wife. I would like this table to talk about Pilate washing his hands. I would like this table to talk about the earthquake and the dead being raised after his resurrection and why Matthew has that. I would like this table to talk about the stone being sealed and who seals it. See if you can figure that one out. Um, and then we're going to right back around. You all get to talk about Judas and Judas' repentance. And you all get to talk about Pilate's wife. So you have five minutes because we have to end at 11. So talk fast. You all are talking about Pilate's wife. Okay, we need to come back together. So starting at the table over which Lucy is presiding. Starting at the, our fur table over there, tell us why you think Matthew wants to give Judas a story and tells us that Judas repents. the audience that would be hearing, you know, or would know Matthew's account of the gospel and how maybe there was some room for ambiguity about, you know, having faith in the, the promise of the Messiah and having doubt and, um, and, and brought up the point that, um, you know, Judas sort of sells Jesus out before he knows that Jesus would be crucified. And at the point when he realizes that he sort of sold him too far down the river, he, he repents. And so no one in the account is really purely evil or, or purely innocent when it comes to So the view from that table is that no one is purely entirely evil and no one is purely innocent. What we have right before the Passion narrative begins is the woman with the ointment who pours it over Jesus, and there's the complaint about how much money has been wasted. It's after that that he goes and offers to sell Jesus to the authorities, but he repents as that table has remembered or looked up after Jesus, after it's clear that Jesus is going to be crucified. So there is actually the potential for Judas to have understood that, of course, he was turning in Jesus for whatever reasons, maybe thinking he was 
not the Messiah he'd hoped for, but that he did not actually expect him to be crucified. Of course, the priests reject um, his offer to return the money, which is how we know he repents. Um, and instead, that money ends up being used to buy the potter's field, uh, where foreigners are buried to this day, we're told. And Judas goes out and hangs himself because it appears to Judas to be that he has done too little too late. So I'm going to pass right on by you, Mike, because we don't have much time. So tell me about Pilate's wife. And we have two tables talking about Pilate's wife, so we'll start there and we'll go here. Women's intuition. This doesn't feel good. So she's having bad dreams. And what's her dream about? She also, she dreamt it. <laughs> have nothing to do with this innocent man. So she and she is trying to get Pilate's attention. And how well does that work? Not so well. What does this table come up with? May I? Yes. I think this is really interesting. This is the end of a life, of a moment in the beginning of a new one. And in the new one, in the new covenant, we are taught that we have a chance to repent and be forgiven. And we have little examples of this. And one comes as a dream to the wife. God has come with dreams to prophets, to people, mm -hmm. uh, to Joseph uh, when he saw Mary. Um, and, uh, and also, um, you know, also Judah repenting mm -hmm. uh, is an example of, and the temple falling, etc. That's all the beginning of the new era, the new covenant. The beginning of a new era where, in fact, repentance is possible. And what Juicy has raised up, which I think is really important, is that there is a long history all through the Old Testament, which, of course, uh, Matthew's followers or readers would know, which is that dreams are how God speaks to his people. That happens all through the Hebrew scriptures, so that she is telling the truth, which Pilate decides to ignore. Okay, did you all get Pilate washing his hands? Was that your table? Yes, what do we think about that? Oh, um, well, a couple of things. One is that it's clearly he's, he's blame shifting, which will later become problematic. Um, but also that there's something about the ritual of washing your hands that it harkens back to an earlier passage where the um, Pharisees complain about Jesus' followers not washing their hands and while he while they wash their Woo, hands and he's I like, like this. You know, washing your hands doesn't make you doesn't make you clean, doesn't it's what comes out of you. So there's it's kind of hearkening back to this ritual emptiness. So Pilate does this in ways that appear to cleanse him from guilt, and yet there are other passages where the Pharisees go after Jesus about his disciples not washing their hands, and Jesus rightly talks about it's not about how clean your hands are, it's about what's inside. It's about the intention and not the action. Okay, and part of why that is really important is again, Judas is writing to either Jews who are not yet Christians or Christians who are Jews. And the fact is that in Matthew's gospel, despite the fact that Pilate knows he's innocent, 
Pilate, always remember, Pilate is the one in charge. The Jews cannot get anybody crucified on their own. That's a Roman punishment. It's not a Jewish punishment. They can't do that. So Pilate is the one who says, I wash this and I will remind you of Lady Macbeth. Okay, you all had the earthquake and the dead raised. I think the hardest question here. I know you were talking. Uh, with the earthquake uh, and Jesus' death, the, uh, the curtain was rent in two. So with the sacrificial lamb of Jesus, we are now freely, we have free access to God through Christ at that moment. And it was a dramatic moment so that we would remember it. It, it was earth shattering moment. And that's absolutely right. What Evelyn has reminded us of is that the temple, the curtain of the temple is torn in two and the curtain was in front of the Holy of Holies, the Ark of the Covenant, and only the priests were allowed to go in there on that once a year. So that being rent is about our now having access. But the fact is the curtain being torn in two does not appear only in Matthew's gospel. Um, it's not his alone, the earthquake and the body is raised from the dead after Jesus' resurrection, he hastens to add, is unique to him. And I would then go to what Evelyn just said about this is um, a cosmic shift, that the earthquake is an indication that this is not just even about humanity, but all of earth. And then the resurrection of the dead is the promise of what's to come. Although we do not have other reports that say there were people raised from the dead walking around in Jerusalem, despite what Matthew says. But they were walking around, I'm sorry, they were walking around with the shadow. We don't have any idea. We just know what Matthew says. I know, Matthew says they were up walking around, but nobody else confirms that. So we're just gonna leave that with Matthew. Tell me about the sealed stone. So um, the Pharisees go to Pilate and say, this guy prophesies that he would, you know, come back in three days. So we don't want any trickery here with his apostles. So you better seal up that tomb so they don't steal the body and claim that, you know, he's not dead anymore. And Pilate agrees with them and orders the soldiers to seal the tomb. Yes, until that last line. Pilate actually says, not my problem. You want the tomb sealed, you go seal it. So actually, it is the Jewish leadership that has the stone sealed. It's the only gospel where the stone is sealed. Um, but it is for exactly the reason that Ed said, which is the fear that people will say, if the body is gone, they stole his body. He isn't really raised from the dead. So they want extra security, so they seal the tomb. But it's another instance of Pilate saying, not my problem. Um, in that case. And you all, again, had Judas. Any words to leave us with? The only thing we might add to what our friends over there said was that it, the returning of the 30 pieces of silver is another one of those narrative arc completions, just to say this is to fulfill the prophecy of, mm -hmm. of Jeremiah, I think. Yes, he says this to fulfill the prophecy, but if you read the notes in your annotated Bible, 
Sometimes they say it's this prophet, and sometimes they say it's this prophet, and they're a little vague because they can't really find uh, that particular verse. But it certainly does complete the narrative arc. And part of what's interesting, the potter's field where foreigners are buried, um, is actually Judas releasing um, that money in a way that actually ends up, uh, though I don't think the priests intended this, um, ends up fulfilling Jesus' welcome for people who are not normally accepted, that they will not, their bodies will not be discarded, but will in fact um, find a burial. The reason I wanted to look at this is that it's really important to think about who Matthew is writing for and therefore why he includes this. I think there's a real theme about the possibility of continuing repentance, um, that no one is fully guilty in the story and no one is fully innocent. But I think the other thing that's really clear is that we tend to read this as Pilate being innocent. I think Matthew wrote it to say Pilate isn't innocent at all because he's also very careful to say that the crowd is stirred up by the chief priests. That it's not the crowd who does this on their own. It's the chief priests who are worried about Jesus escaping the tomb. I think he is saying a Pilate is really guilty and works at the bidding of the chief priests. He is neither saying the Jews writ large did this, um, but he is saying that Rome did this in collaboration. And given the conflict that was growing between Jewish Christians and Jews, which is that Jewish Christians were being thrown out of the temple as not sufficiently Jewish, he is both defending that, but he is also writing at a time when if the temple has not been destroyed, it soon will be. And so he also knows Rome is not our friend. Um, and so he is lifting those two up. And on that note, I have to go to church. The Lord bless you and keep you and make his face to shine upon you. To learn more about St. James Church, visit stjames.org. That's stjames.org.